0: You've reached the Entertainment Hotline, a Chatter podcast. Listener-celebs dial in to chat with Anita Annabelle, chatter.com.au and Media Week's Head of Entertainment. You've reached the Entertainment Hotline, a Chatter podcast. Listener-celebs dial in to chat with Anita Annabelle, chatter.com.au and Media Week's Head of Entertainment. Hello,
1: it's Nody Hazel, and every family has a secret on SPSC.
2: I have met you before, and I have told so many people this on this podcast. I have told Mm. so many people that the one person who had rendered me speechless on a red carpet was you. (laughs)
1: Oh, that's funny. I'm hoping you were very young.
2: (laughs) No, I wasn't. Literally, this was probably at the actors, maybe just before COVID. How embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) You have. Oh, a prof-
1: well, we all, all had those
2: moments. You have a profound effect on me, so I just had to. I just had oh, to oh. tell you. Oh, get a grip Come on. <laughs> uh, that's exactly what you said to me on the red card. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, wow. Well. Oh, anyway, I am so so glad that I have you now because we've got it's- season four of Every Family Has a Secret. What a show!
1: My yeah God. i'm so proud of it. I just think it's fabulous intelligent, rewarding television you know
2: it's so gripping as well like it you mm. think that these kind of shows wouldn't be
1: gripping, but I was hooked yeah it's well it's it's real human beings you know it, having authentic reactions to things and in real time, and that's quite a rarity on television, especially under the title of reality
2: of course, of course i mean that's <laughs> and it's not. Edited like a lot of reality TV shows, obviously.
1: No, it's not exploiting the audience or the subject, so that makes it stand apart for a start.
2: Yeah. So, anyone who, well, at the time of recording, no one has seen it season four yet. But, with every mm-hmm. family has a secret, can you give us the elevator elevator? Gosh, can't even speak. Give us the elevator mm-hmm. pitch for season four.
1: What's an elevator pitch?
2: A really quick pitch about what what oh. we can expect. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. Don't see the connection, but
2: anyway. Think um, about. Think about. Actually, someone explain this to me. You're going I don't know if you're gonna appreciate this or not, but it's just like yeah. getting into an elevator and telling someone you've only got two stops to tell them what the show is about. I see. <laughs> okay.
1: As opposed to going downstairs. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, it's about people who've been haunted their whole lives by not knowing the truth about a certain relative or friend or whatever. Uh, who trust and trust our team to try and get to the bottom of it.
2: That was perfect. That was very, very quick and succinct. I loved it. But, <laughs> you know, the thing that I love about this, and you've just kind of mentioned it, it's people kind of finding out these secrets, but this series really changes people's lives, doesn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can do indeed. Um, and you can sometimes actually see that happening. You know, you can see a palpable visceral response where the person we started out with is very different to the person that who finishes the journey. Um, and that's quite profound, you know, and it's a responsibility, um, for the, for the team to, to look after them because, you know, they're putting their trust in us and it's, they're not used to the, you know, to cameras or anything. They're very, um, um not media savvy in any way, shape or form. So it's a big leap for them and it's up to us to look after them and make sure they're getting support all the way because some of the discoveries are quite, as you say, life changing. Um and, and even though you know the outcomes aren't necessarily the ones they hoped for, um at least that there's no one who's said, I wish I hadn't done this. They've all said, I feel a sense of relief. Um I'm glad that I went on this journey and, you know, they feel supported and protected, and that's really important to us.
2: It's so important. And mm. what happens after the show? Did they get that support as well?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're still in touch with people from all the series. You know, they sort of become family because, you know, we really hold their hands. And, you know, my job is because most people sort of know me from play school or whatever. My job is to kind of let them focus on me to start with, and not worry about the crew. Just tell me the story, mm. uh, and we might chat for forty-five minutes, but it gets edited down to about three, <laughs> and then off they go. You know, by that time they're used to the to the lovely three or four member crew who travel all around the world with them. Sometimes, you know, so it's um it can be a huge leap for them, a really big leap, and they're, they're you know they're showing the episodes before they're. um finalized so that we can be sure they're happy with them uh, and there's follow-up uh, contact all the time. I mean, they have regular get-togethers with people and, you know, we have, we send out news bulletins about each other and it's, you know, we do keep in touch.
2: That is actually
1: so special. Mm.
2: Isn't that
1: yeah, just well, the it's, most special it's thing? It's the, the least we can do. You know, we don't, we don't want people to feel exploited or abused. and You know, invariably, as I say, they've they've come with a lot of courage, sometimes family opposition to to what they're doing. And so it's our responsibility to to do it in the the most honourable way we can.
2: Is the family opposition usually the people who've kind of kept the secrets for a while or is it that people are just like, leave it alone, we don't want to know?
1: More the latter, yeah. I think think some people have... um, You know, particularly if there's a potentially murky thing going on, murky past, um, not for these immediate family, but for you know people way back, uh, or a couple of generations back. Yeah, often people say, why do you want to do this? You know, and it can be quite fraught. Um, But eventually, again, I think all the people in other parts of the family who've objected have all been happy in the end with what was discovered. So, you know, it's it's generally perhaps a, a fear of the unknown, or I don't know.
2: I don't know about you, but when I look into my family history, it really excites me, but it is a little bit um, scary. I mean, can you imagine just finding these people find out things that are that are like completely mind-boggling? They probably thought one yeah. thing and then it
1: was another. Well, it can be, and, and you know, we, we can't always resolve um, the issue that they've come to us with. We There's one instance which we started in Series 1, uh, Marie-Ann Keefe, which we've only just resolved um three or four years later. Um, but we kept at it. So <laughs> uh you know, it was and, and that was an extraordinary outcome. There's a there's a thing on YouTube about her at the moment just showing the resolution, which is just beautiful. And it's completely changed her life and her fa- whole family's life for the better. Um but yeah, it's it can be quite um yeah it, it's a lot. It's a lot for these people to take on for sure.
2: I can imagine. And so you just kind of mentioned that they come to you. Is that where you find Mm -hmm. these people? Do they kind of apply and go, where we know that there's a family secret and we would really like to know more about it?
1: Yeah, that's right. The first series not so much because nobody knew, you know, what we were doing. Uh so some of the first people were you know, I think they were a couple of them were known to the producers. Uh and they did put out, you know, a, a request for people to call in, but now we get loads of requests and and you know, the researchers have to go to a certain point um to, to make sure that we can do something. So it's not just yes or no. It's like, oh well let's follow it as far as we can and see if we can get somewhere with it. So it's it's a big job for a very small team.
2: I can imagine. There's one thing that actually made me laugh watching, and I it's obviously very heavy content matter. But your poker face—you don't really have a poker face—and it kind of mm-hmm. made me laugh that they would say something, and your face would just react in that way. I mean, you're obviously hearing it from the first for the first time on camera.
1: Not necessarily. Oh, you're um, really good at no. That, I mean, <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what they're saying for the first time. Um, but I generally have a reason. Well, I I know what it is. I have to find out from them. Mm. Uh, I don't necessarily know the outcome. Sometimes I know a little bit about the outcome, but often the team will find things when they're actually out on the road that they hadn't anticipated, you know, that crop up. Um, but I, it's my job to ask the questions to tease the story out. So I have to, I have to have a vague understanding of what, Mm. you know, Going on, but it, having said that, I, I um I really do react authentically to what they're telling me and and what's what they're going through, telling me as well, um because it, you know I, I need to listen, <laughs> um and because they're human beings who are being very vulnerable and real, and it's my job to not abuse that trust.
2: Of course. And season four, the first episode, it deviates from its usual format with the first episode. Can you tell me a little bit
1: about that? Yeah, the first episode uh, with Jackie and Mike, brother, yes. half-brother and sister, um, because it's from two points of view um, and they had very different experiences. They're trying to find out their mother's past, uh, who was a very, very closed, shy, timid person in to their knowledge. Um, they both had very different experiences. Mike's a bit older than Jackie. And so there were so many twists and turns in this story, including one that we only discovered, you know, as we were going, um, about a potential inheritance, which was quite extraordinary. Um, you know, with a deadline that was very close <laughs> before it to the French government. Um, yeah, and, and because they have completely different responses to, to the revelations about their mother as a young woman, as a very young woman. You know, they find out about their mother's uh, running away from home at 16 and, and being an advocate for the Nazis. And I mean, being a spokesperson for the for the cause that she was fighting, quite extraordinary. And, and several attempts to evade the authorities, you know, compared to the little meek woman they knew, they're absolutely gobsmacked by it. And we sort of follow their different responses. Mike, particularly, his response is quite moving because, you know, he wanted to protect his mum and so he was a bit equivocal about the revelations. But in the end he felt, that, you know, we, we show, as, as I said, all our participants the programs before they are released and, and he was very happy with the way we did it and thought it was respectful. So job done.
2: Wow. It must feel very satisfying that he was that he was happy with that, particularly when he's had such a profound response to it.
1: Yeah, and you can see that, you know, it's really hard. But, I mean, I think the bottom line is that you get to know this person, even if they didn't help you to get to know them. They, they do feel like they got to know a more complete picture of who their mum was and that's, you know, that's got to bring you some peace.
2: <laughs> I'm really interested in how she just kept so meek. She was so timid, rather, throughout her life and then was concealing this massive secret. That must have been so hard for her. Can you, I can't even imagine.
1: Well, this is it. You know, behind you scratch the surface and everyone's got a story to tell. Um, you know, we're so quick to judge each other on the, on the basis of how we present to the world, and yet everyone has a, the most amazing story. And this poor woman spent her entire life terrified, oh my God. absolutely terrified that she was going to be found out. No, you know, by any, any number of people were, were after her. So, you know, it, it must have been a very, very, oh, my gosh. I mean, what? yeah, remarkable life. Her mother lived a remarkable life, there's no doubt about it.
2: It really sounds like something from a movie. Like, it's almost like you can't make this <laughs> stuff <step> up, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Well, and that. But that's it. You know, people say, oh, if you put this in a movie, no one would believe you. Well, why not? I mean, life is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> You know, everyone has a story, um, just like everyone has a secret. So it's, it's, um, we share more similarities than differences as human beings. And that's why I think this program is so valuable because we see real human beings in front of us and we can't help but engage and empathize.
2: Oh, I was hooked. I've honestly, I felt like mm-hmm. I was watching a movie. It was so, it was so wonderful. It's like, it was kind of like bombshells and twists every turn. It was, it really yeah. was like a real yeah. reality, you know, drama.
1: Yeah, well, reality in the true sense of the word. And I think, you know, I, I also love the historical breakouts, you know, where they yes. give you a context for what was going on. So that helps you to kind of weigh up why they might have made the choices they made in the past, the kinds of pressures they were under. Um, There's another really poignant story. Uh, I think it's episode three um, with Grace Carston, who's a history professor, and she finds out about her long-lost uncle, who she didn't really know existed, and it's so poignant about why this young man got caught up with the Nazis and, um, yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, but it, it's remarkably sad. Um, but, you know, he lives on through Grace pursuing his story where he could have been forgotten. And, you know, she found this photo of, of her uncle and on the back he just said, think of me sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you, it just gets you right in the guts. It really does.
2: I can only imagine that this is mind boggling for you to hear these stories. Is this something that yeah, this blah, blah 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 has there ever been t- Stop making me speechless, Noni? No I'm not,
1: I can't do anything to you. <laughs> Yeah, oh my
2: goodness! Yourself. I know. <laughs> oh my god! I'm like I'm on so my best behaviour today as well. Like yeah. oh, <laughs> I know. I don't know. You do something to me, Noni. You do something to me. But has this prompted you to ever look into your own family history, like hearing other people's
1: stories? Well, no. It's actually the other way around. I was lucky enough to be a subject of Who Do You Think You Are a few years ago, yes. and what they revealed to me was so gobsmackingly amazing to me. Um, it helped me make sense of so much. And and I come from a really small family. My mum and dad migrated after the war and it was just me and my brother who's 12 years older. So he left home when I was five and I had no family at all. and I didn't meet any family until I was 17 and then only took for about, you know, a year and a day there. So to find out about family connections was just remarkable because I felt finally that I came from somewhere Wow. Um, so that was one of the reasons why I liked the idea of this program because it's not well known people, you know, it's people who aren't used to the media and who just have this burning desire to, to get to the bottom of something that, as I said at the beginning, haunted them, has haunted them. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I felt that it, I got so much from that privilege that I just felt it was the least I could do, you know, to, to say thank you for my good fortune and having researchers come up with things that I knew nothing about, nothing about.
2: That's amazing, honestly, because it also makes you feel like, it sounds like with your story, it made you feel like you kind of had a sense of belonging, like
1: you knew who you were. Absolutely. I didn't know my maternal great-grandfather was one of the most famous aerial acrobats in the world. What? I I have to watch this. Oh, it's just gobsmacking. And I also had no idea why my mother, my mother was sort of not similar in that she had a Nazi background, but similar in that she was very secretive and very closed and very timid. And I found out why, and I had no idea. So, yeah, it it was just extraordinary to have that, you know, all those resources brought to bear in a way that I could never, you know, come up with. Photographs of my great, great, my great grandfather hurtling off a trampoline <laughs> through the <end> trapeze. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, and they found about his wife who was a chariot racer, um, his second partner who was a sharpshooter oh and one of God. the great beauties of Europe who had an affair with Tsar uh, Nicholas. I mean, just, what? Most, oh, it's just nuts. It, the whole thing is nuts. But I just felt, I, I always knew I was a fourth generation performer. But I didn't know, you know, where it started. So yeah, that was remarkable. So I just felt that I understood, you know, how how it could help people to to be part of this concept.
2: That is unbelievable. I'm literally, as soon as we get (laughs) off this call, I have admin to do. As soon as we get off (laughs) this call, I have admin to do and I am going, I'm putting that on. Like I have, that is. Unbelievable. I cannot yeah. believe that. It's so amazing because you kind of go, Oh, you think you know you know your immediate family, you know maybe the generation above, and then like you start hearing all these stories. Actually, I always, I always say this I kind of didn't love being an adult because you always find out all the secrets of your family that you maybe necessarily <laughs> didn't want to know. Oh,
1: that's funny. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's um, well, I was desperate to know things, but you know, mm. my mother wouldn't ever speak. She had a brother that she who we think committed suicide that she would never talk about. She never even wanted to oh talk God. me. So, you know, just all these secrets that we um, I wish that the thing is people say, I wish I'd asked Dad or Mum about that or press them a bit harder and now it's too late.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I did drive my mother, but she there was no way she was going to open up about anything. Um and I'm sorry because my belief is that if a burden shares, a burden halved you know it would have been nice for her to be able to not feel like she had to suppress things, but I guess she was doing it out of a sense of shame and protecting me and you know all, and she did tell some porkies. <laughs> type she, really she really did
2: it's it's kind of funny like you can oh that's if, uh, I feel like it's that generation. It could be the generation above you who were Mum always said this, that my abuela, she would tell us stories, but she wouldn't necessarily tell mum and her siblings stories. Wow. So, so, you know, there's like stories of abuela knitting with bicycle spokes during the mm. war. But wow. mum said I never had heard that story until she heard mm. abuela tell me. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting, yeah. isn't it? I wonder why that it- is.
1: Well, I think, I think you want to protect your own children when they're young. You know, you don't necessarily um, want to talk about it. And I, I know from again, from who do you think you are? My father was told by the powers that be in the war, do not speak about your experience, your families, because it will upset them. Wow. So, you know, you think about all those people who said, oh, he would never talk. They would never talk about it. Now, if that's the case, they're told not to, as opposed to they just couldn't then and, and that you know, I imagine that, um, I don't know, I just think it's all the time we thought, oh, they were so traumatized, they didn't speak about it, but they're actually told not, but where do you come together, if you can't share you know something of what you've been through with the closest people to, you? Of
2: course, oh, that's lots so of, sad, that,
1: you God to Vesta um. And so, you know, they were expected to just come back after the war and carry on as if nothing had happened. God.
2: I always think this, like as a, as a, I'm 37. So as a millennial, you kind of go, I can't believe what our grandparents went through. It's, mm. it's mm. really quite astonishing because we live the best life. I mean, apart from COVID, let's not go there, but we do. We live such a astronomically different life and can, you yes. just can't even imagine that. Two generations ago. They were literally hiding under tables waiting for bombs to hit. It's mm. it's just it's astonishing.
1: Yeah, well that's what my mother went through. She was completely traumatized by bombs and um you know, she wrote right to the head for life, you heard thunder, she completely overreacted and she never told me why.
2: Wow. Oh, that just gave me goosebumps. Mm.
1: Well as a kid I just would go, Oh no, I'm gonna say it's thunder, for goodness sake, you know. That makes so much sense. Yeah, you know, she was in a house with a baby brother in Liverpool. My father was six years in India. And, um, you know, there was no bomb shelters, nothing. She was in houses that, where the bombs were dropping.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah. The I mean, not with my father, on you know, for six years, it was all through her 20s.
2: Oh, my God. Imagine in your 20s, your 20s, like that. I, it just is, it, and the historical aspect is amazing. The other thing that's really interesting to me is that all of these people on the show, and you as well, and me, we all have such a diverse cultural background and we're in Australia.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah.
2: Honey, <laughs> <I> mean, eh?
1: <laughs> um, but we're all hit the, you know, and this is the thing that I think is so valuable about not only this program but about what SBS does, Um, you know, we all have white skeletons, so can we just get up for all the rest of it? Mm. Um, and I think one of the things this series does is point out that we share more similarities than differences as human beings. Mm Um, you know, just because people look different or come from a different cultural background or whatever it is that we can point to and say, I'm not like that. It ultimately doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, scratch any surface and someone has a story. Or in some sort of pain and most people have suffered in some way. So if we can take that as a given, maybe that will accelerate, you know, the kindness factor a little bit. If we can show people being vulnerable and authentic and human, if you can think, oh, gee, maybe that person over the road you who know, I think is a is a twat, um, you know, has reasons for being like that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> Just sometimes those little pearlers, they just come out. (laughs) But it's so so true. It's complete. And I completely (laughs) am with you on that. One thing Mm. that I did read was that this series is a highlight of your career. Why do you Mm. think that is?
1: Um, Well, I guess, you know, I'm a storyteller, whether it's through playing a role in something or presenting or, Doing radio or film or directing or writing, whatever it is, I want to tell stories that I think have value and worth and a reason to exist that might be helpful. Um, on the other side of it, I've just turned 70. I'm a female. I'm on television and uh, it's such a privilege, you know, to, to be still working, um, and doing something that, that I think is so fantastic um, and so beautiful. Um, I, I just feel like it has value and that it's uh, reporting television. And I'm just so thrilled at the response. You know, I mean, every journalist I speak to, um, whether it's Huey, Julie and Lily on the radio or, you know, um, a serious series journalist, <laughs> if they've watched the program, that they're all enthusiastic about it, responsive and, you know, wide-eyed in their response. And I think that just points to the rarity of seeing authenticity on mm. our screen.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, when I just can't believe you're 70. My jaw just dropped to the floor. I go, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think. So you, I, I did a little bit of research on you. I went, I went a little deep, but I realized that you have 91 credits on IMDb and I bet you that there's others missing.
1: Oh, I don't know, I guess
2: but so you've been doing you've been performing since nineteen seventy four and you did say mm. this that you're from a family of performers like fourth generation performers. Mm. Is that something you always wanted to do?
1: It never occurred to me to do anything else um once my parents realised well, my parents were both in vaudeville, they met where when they were on the same bill um. <laughs> And so they, once they realized that I had some talent and, you know, they made sure that I did piano, ballet, calisthenic, um that I did, you know, they gave me comedy, that they would help sit me down and watch these amazing variety shows. So when I was a kid, the best of the best entertainers in the world were on television all the time.
2: Mm.
1: Whereas now, unless you cherry-pick your own entertainment, which more and more people are doing and who can blame them, Um <laughs> Now it's instead of people watching people on screen going, gee, I wish I could do that. That's so amazing. People now watch and go, Oh, do that, I may as well have a go. Mm. So, you know, so I was given a really finely tuned preparation from as far back as I can remember about what I would need, because their first lesson was the Who doesn't know you were living, because we had to leave it in order to prepare for a family. Um, and because Vaudeville had died after the war because of the advent of television. So, um, yeah, they, they, it's been a lifelong, um, yeah. I just don't know what to do. I mean, it's only in the last sort of 30 years, I guess, that I've become very conscious of wanting to tell stories that I think have value. Mm. Um, for a certain period in any actor's life, you've just got to take whatever you can take. Um, in order to build up a profile, that's paying the dues, as you do in any profession. But you know, then I, after Monkey Grip, I guess in the 80s, I started to think, actually, what are these stories I want to tell? And is, you know, if I would waste my time watching this, why would I expect anyone else to?
2: That's so true. I would love that, that you've kind of gone through the story. I mean, you've always told stories. I mean, you've read them very beautifully on PlaySchool, I have to say, <laughs> but I get what you mean. Like it must be so, It must. Be, I don't know, satisfying. Is that the word? To be able to tell stories?
1: Well, I don't know how to do anything else. It really. <laughs> um, I just think it's important that we do tell stories, mm. you know, that, that we don't lock ourselves off. Looking at a screen, um, and, and feeling increasingly worthless as, you know, we measure ourselves against avatars. Um, I, I just think it's really important to, you know, how, how many times do you see on the news? Oh, my next door neighbor was a serial killer. Oh, he seemed like a nice bloke, but we didn't know him very well. <laughs> just over the fence, would you? You know, I mean, really, we're, we're so isolated in this age of communication. Mm. Um, and I think it, it's, uh, it's a it's a problem.
2: Absolutely. Now, before you go, I know I've kept you a long time. I do just want to just say, ask one thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, my generation, and you know my you know my uh, penchant for being shy around you because of it, but play school. Mm-hmm. That did you ever at the time have any understanding of what you would do to a generation of of what you would mean to a generation of kids?
1: Oh, not at the beginning, I, I auditioned because another rang me one day and said, I think you should be, try and get on this because it's a way to show that you can sing and dance and be funny mm-hmm. at children and they might watch it with their children. So I auditioned and it changed my life. Um, I very quickly became aware of why it worked and how it worked, how carefully done it was. Mm. And also it became very very clear to me that if you can hold the attention of a three-year-old, even through a medium like television, and get an interactive response, which we did, um, then adults are agreed because children demand that you are present, that you that you are actually engaging with them. And we treat the camera, we treat the camera as if for one child. So it was very correct. And you know, every for 90 78, so two thousand and two. Yeah. I mean a lot of three year old generations. It wasn't just your generation. <laughs> it was a that's true. For a new, you know, and um and so I realized the power of it. And then I became after a couple of years, it sort of changed my life in that I became an advocate for, for small children. And I've been talking since the eighties publicly in speeches and, and interviews. Particularly speeches about what I consider to be a form of abuse. If a child is not protected in some way from the media, mm. a small child, a preschool child, because until a child's five, unless they have an adult contextualising what they're seeing, they can't tell the difference between the news and ad and animation. It's all input. Mm. You know, they don't have the filter. They don't have the knowledge or experience to know that what they're watching isn't age appropriate. Okay. Um, and they're bombarded, surrounded by stuff everywhere they go on the fast, at the dentist. You know, you can't escape this. Um, so there's very little peace. And, and so that, that's been my major, you know, give back thing that, the, you know, I really want to make people mindful of how crucially important those preschool years are in helping cho- children make sense of this incredibly complex world that we can barely make sense of. Yeah. Wow,
2: that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. I mean, it's so wonderful because I know you—you you learned by preschool teachers. You learned. I, I do know that that you know from mm. personal experience, knowing someone who did it. Like you learned from educators. And mm. not only that, you then were, you were surrounded by, I guess you met so many children. It's, it's, it's quite insane.
1: It's the simplicity of it. The mm. fact that plays with what you know, it's not, it's not introducing you to any concepts that you don't need. It's simple, everyday, you know, basics. I'm not saying, don't you wish you had one of these? It's let's see what you can do with it, with this bit of cardboard, you know, so it's not precluding a child. It's absolutely directed at one child, and we make no assumption that either they've got two parents or they've got a backyard or they've got a bedroom. Um, you know, when I was in the Territory many years ago, um, this lovely, this man came to me in the pub at night and he said, Oh, I hate you. I fucking hate you. And I said, well, <laughs> I said well, What have I done you? And he said, Oh, it's, they all do what you say on Facebook, but they don't do what I say. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you just need to be a bit better at it, don't you? But it, it's so interesting because you know you realise that there's kids watching that aren't middle class white children in Mossman. You know that yes. there's kids watching all around the country, and you cannot make assumptions that they all have access to everything that everyone else has might have. So, do you know what I mean? It's kind of it's it's a very personal relationship that the presenter has with that child and yeah it's it's um very
2: mm, it's very rewarding and very fulfilling but it's also a big responsibility a oh, huge responsibility actually really quick question before i let you go um mm. when i did a presenting course at screenwise george and i did a we did a kids day or kids week and george mm. Actually, taught me, which is so bizarre. Like it was so bizarre for me. Can you imagine? He told us that the kid that he puts in the camera was his daughter's best friend because he was removed from her. Who was your kid that you used to read? Like you used to put it out to? Did you have someone in
1: mind? No, no, I didn't. Um, What I learnt when I had my own children was that if I said, "Would like to sing with me," that they would go, "Yes." (laughs) But then I had my own child who just as like, oh, so you have, you have to sort of accommodate that in your ima- response, in, in your response to their imaginary. <laughs> Maybe they're not going to. That's fine. Um, that is so funny. <laughs> I, I didn't have any imaginary child in there. I mean, I think the key, the key for play school or presenting, is really to be yourself or the version of yourself. That, there to be in that environment, obviously, you're not going to be yourself once at all, but, <laughs> right, children. But, um, <laughs> it's important that you're alive to the moment. Mm. And so, uh, if, if you're outside presenting and there's a bird squawking, you acknowledge the bird. You don't try and pretend it's not happening. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise you're going to have to go again. <laughs> yeah. <You know, so laughs> to be responsive to the environment you're in, which is authentic because, and if, you know, there's something public speaking. A friend of mine, who's Marie Cardi, had to watch her, her book, and she said she was terrified of giving a speech at the at the launch. And I said, well, just start, start with that. Just start really scared. I'm way out of my comfort zone here. And everyone will lean forward and go, oh, it's okay. We know how you feel. You'll have them on the side from the start other than, you know, the traditional good evening, ladies and gentlemen or you know, that you repeat where you obviously don't care what people think or you just want to get to the end. But just be in the moment and play.
2: Oh my gosh. I am this I'm so glad I didn't speak to you on the red carpet because this is so much better.
1: <laughs> yeah, I chat on the red carpet. Oh, no. I would have been- we get away from it, from everybody on the record.
2: I had a feeling. It's really, yeah, it's a hard situation, those carvers, but no. this, is, this has been absolute. I'm just, I could talk to you for hours. You are so wonderful. Thank you so much for chatting to Fine, me.
1: You're yeah, welcome to talk to you. I hope you feel a bit more relaxed about me now.
2: I do. I'm like, I'm going to call <laughs> mum and be like, mum, Noni and I are best friends. Um. Oh, good. <laughs> oh <good. laughs>
0: Thanks for calling the Entertainment Hotline with Anita Annabelle find us on Instagram at the entertainment underscore hotline pod or visit us at chatter.com.au The Entertainment Hotline with Anita Annabelle is a proud Chatter podcast Thanks for calling The Entertainment Hotline with Anita Annabelle You can find us on Instagram at the entertainment underscore hotline pod or visit us at chatter.com.au The Entertainment Hotline with Anita Annabelle is a proud chatter podcast.